Uh, today, we come to Joshua 14, um, and we're going to be talking about Caleb. Caleb's a great name, right? A great name. Uh, when, I was, when I was young and living in America, uh, my sister got an American name. My sister's name is Jenny. So starting first grade, second grade, she, her name was Jenny. But I never got one, so I, I always grew up with the name Chin, right? Because my name is E. Jin Wan, and then when we moved to America, my dad... He didn't know English very well, and so he wrote C-H-I-N um, as my first name, which is unfortunate because I got made fun of a lot, even by teachers. Like one time, my fourth grade teacher was calling my name, and she's like, not by the hair of my chinny-chin-chin. And I was like, I was like, what? Like I'm, four, I'm, I'm like an ESL student, four, fourth grade. I had no idea what she was talking about. I realized way later on when I read the Three Little Piggies and the wolf story, I was like, oh, she was making fun of me, right? <laughs> And so I grew up with the name uh, Chin, but uh, somewhere, I think I was in middle school, I kind of wanted to change my name, so I tried out Caleb, right? And everybody was like, nah, shut up, your name's Chin, right? Like, don't, don't try to, like, fool us with your fake name. So it wasn't until I actually came to Korea in 2007, um, I had a cousin, John, who was living here, he was doing orphanage ministry, and he's like, you need an American name, right? Because, um, like, when you, when you teach English and things like that, you know, no one wants to be taught by chin teacher, right? It just, <laughs> it just, it just doesn't roll off the tongue. So um, I, I told him, I, try, I tried to name myself Caleb a long time ago. It didn't really stick. And then he's like, well, why don't you try? And then so I did, and then it stuck, you know? And so um, I don't think anybody in Korea knows me by chin. Um, huh? Oh, that, that's my real name, but then my Korean name is Chin. So that, that's what I that's what I uh, grew up with when I uh, when I was young. So when I go to like when I when people from like like L.A. come and visit me, I have a um, I have a I had a friend from my high school came and visited, and we had dinner, and he kept on calling me Chin, and I was like, this is really weird because like, I haven't heard this in, in a long time. But I I chose the name Caleb when I was young, not because of the biblical implication, but because it just sounded cool, and I didn't know anybody named Caleb. I only knew one person uh, when I was young named Caleb, and he was kind of like a pretty cool guy, and so uh, that's what I went with. But today we're going to actually talk about the Caleb of the Bible, and he is a pretty amazing guy, and um, I think there's a lot that we can learn from him. Um, there's a, if you read throughout the Bible, there's like a, there's certain things that talk about Caleb and kind of that he was like a brutish guy. He was probably big, he was probably jacked, you know, and he probably like he was, he was like very into fighting and war and things like that. But there's an aspect of Caleb that God talks about and the Bible talks about. And I, I believe that's a very uh, important thing that we want to uh, look at today. We're gonna, today, we're going to talk about the inheritance of Caleb. Uh, back in the book of Numbers, you know, you guys, we've, we've gone through this many times, um, going through the book of Joshua. But there were, uh, you know, they, they were free from Egypt, they crossed the Red Sea, and then they came, actually came to the, the entryway, like they, basically the precipice of the promised land, and then Moses sent out these 12 spies to go spy out the land and say, okay, see if we can take this land uh, for our, you know, to be our promised land. And so 12 spies go out, um, and 10 of them come back with a very bad report. 10 of them come back, and they're like, we're like grasshoppers in their hands. You know, these guys are huge. These, these armies are like, like the sands of the, the sea. Like, there's, there's, we can't, we can't like, you know, there's nothing that we can do to take this, this land, we might as well just pack up and go back to Egypt. And then they actually say, let's stone Caleb and Joshua, and let's actually stone Moses, and then let's make this movement going back to 
to Egypt. And only Joshua and Caleb actually bring a, a good report saying that they can take this land. And in Numbers 13.30, we see Caleb. He says, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are able, we, we are well able to overcome it. And because Joshua and Caleb were the only ones that trusted the Lord um, to be victorious, God rewards Caleb with an inheritance uh, in Numbers 14. It says, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which we, he went, and his descendants shall possess it. And then the Israelites, you know, after the ten spies bring a bad report, the Israelites um, wander the wilderness. God causes them to wander the wilderness for 40 years, uh, four decades, very long time. And all of the old generation die off, right? All of the people that were like, above uh, 40 that uh, left Egypt, they all died. They all kind of, you know, they were, they, they were wiped out. And I think that it was, it was uh, all of the men above the age of 20 were, were you know, died off. And then only the, the, the kids, like the people that were under 20, some of you guys, I don't think there's anybody here under 20, but you know, when you were really, like, the kids that came out of Egypt were the ones that grew up and, and was able to enter the promised land, except for Joshua and Caleb. Caleb was 40 years old when he finally, uh, when he spied out the land. Um, and after years of fighting, after Caleb enters the promised land and they go against all of these different kings, uh, we read about a, a few of them in the previous sermons, but like all these kings come against Israel, they band together, they have these amazing armies, and God is able to wipe them all out um, by his power, and, and the Israelites are, you know, they put their faith in God, and they, they conquer the land of Canaan, right? And uh, after years of fighting and warring against the Canaanites, Caleb goes to Joshua, right? And he, and he makes a request for his inheritance. And Caleb's request, we have to understand, we have to keep in mind that Caleb was 40 years old when he spied out the land, wandered the wilderness for 40 years, and now he's saying that he's 85 years old. He's 85 years old. He's an old man. He's similar age, maybe uh, you know, almost the same age as Joshua. Earlier in chapter 13, God tells him, you know, you are old and you are advanced in years. And God tells him that, right? And so Joshua is like, oh, you know, like if God tells you you're old, you must be old. But here's Caleb. He's 85 years old and he's in the golden years of his life. And he asks for his inheritance. If I was 85 years old, I would ask for like a nice sea area by the Mediterranean Sea. Who's been to the Mediterranean Sea, right? Beautiful, right? You go to the Mediterranean Sea, like some plot of land where I could build a, little, a house and, and go fishing and go swimming and walk along the beach and get some sun, you know. I don't want to ask for some kind of like, you know, very like, you know, peaceful land, um, you know, with some with, with nice views. But Caleb's request is pretty amazing here, okay? We're going to read it. And it says, now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 40 years since the time that the Lord spoke into, spoke these words to Moses. While Israel walked in the wilderness, and now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now, give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For he heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out, just as the Lord said. Now, he's like 85 years old, and, he, and he's like, I'm strong as I was, you know, when I was 40, uh, before we took out all these Canaanites. And then he said, give me this mountain. Right? 
you guys have to understand the ESV, wh what I read says hill country, but uh, the area that he's talking about is about 3,000 feet above sea level. So it's like a mountain, man. He's saying, give me this mountain. And then he's saying, these are the places that are known to inhabit the Anakim. The Anakim were giants, right? These were modern day giants. You guys don't believe that there were giants back then? I don't know, you know, but the Bible says it, so I'm going to believe it. Because Goliath is a famous example of a son of Anak, right? The descendants of Anak. These were, he was supposed to be nine feet tall, right? These are giants, right? These are people that, like, you know, were, were well above high, taller than, and, than all the other people. Um, and at 85 years old, this is retirement time for Caleb, and yet he said, give me this giant. I mean, give me this mountain with giants in it. Because I feel like if God is with me, I can take down these giants. I can claim this land, and I can take down these giants, and I can take this land. You know, Caleb didn't, you know, his, he had, God says that he had a different spirit than everyone else. And we can see it here as he received his inheritance. Caleb stood out. He was different. Right? He was different. There weren't other 85-year-old men that were like Caleb out there. He, led, he was led by a different spirit. And, and there's an example here is that we as the people of God, we have to be different than the people and the, and the ways of the world. We're not supposed to be the same as everyone else in the world, taking, chasing after the same things, going after, uh, you know, being led by the same motivations and measure our success the same way that the world measures it. But we're supposed to stand out. We're supposed to be different. There needs to be something in us that sets us apart. And today we're going to look at Caleb and we want to see what set Caleb apart, right? And then the first thing that I want to talk about is that he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. You know, Caleb tells Joshua that he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. He said, my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, yet I wholly followed the Lord, my God. Right? Caleb tells this to Joshua. But what's really important isn't like Caleb saying like, hey, I wholly followed the Lord. What's more important is God telling telling us that he wholly followed the Lord. Early, early in Numbers, he said, like, this is my, this is Caleb, and he followed me fully, right? He fully followed me. God tells this thing to us, right? And when we follow God, we don't follow him for the people that are, for other people to see. We don't follow God for, for the way that people think of us, but we follow him for God and for his glory. We don't follow him only when people are looking, but we follow him because he is looking. He is with us. He is constantly with us. I, I believe that this is something that, that, that Caleb had. He was one that fully followed the Lord. Not because he wanted Joshua to know. Not because he wanted the Israelites to know. But God himself tells him, Caleb followed me fully. That's a, that's when, when we're 85 years old, don't you want God to say that to us? When we're like, you know, when we're up in heaven and we're, you know, it's like, like, you know, like Molly followed me fully. This is something that we need to have in our hearts because so many times the people, and, and, and you know, this, I'm not talking about non-Christians, I'm talking about Christians. You know, we, there's a lot of things that we do so that, that the world will, like the people around us will, will see us this, a certain way. But we have to understand the audience that we're constantly being connected to is God himself. And we have to, to glorify him, and we have to live our lives fully for him, for him. You know? it's, the, it's, the, it's the heart check. 
Man can only see what is on the outside. So it's easy, really easy to change for man. Right? So it's really easy for, for somebody to, to put on a facade or, or, or act a certain way or, or you know, do certain things so that man will think that this, this person has changed. But God, it's harder to change for God because God expects a, a transformation in our hearts. We can do all of the physical things. We can be like, we're like a clown doing all the things for God. But then God's like, you know what? I see your heart. You can't hard. You can't fake the funk with me, right? I see your heart. And it's harder to change for God. And following the Lord fully is allowing God into every area of our heart and lives. It's not putting limits on God and what he can be in charge of, but it's lordship. It's like, Lordship from long time ago. I don't know. Bev, you're from England, right? You're from Britain, right? It's not like the monarchy in England. Because the queen is awesome. Who who know who likes who loves the queen? I love the queen. All my life, right? All my life, right? Everybody respects the king. And I saw something on Trevor Noah where Donald Trump went to, to England and met the king, queen and then he, he put his hand on his back and then all these like like, media people were like, you never touch the queen. You never touch the queen, right? Because Donald Trump kind of, like, helped her up in her back. There, there's this honor, and there's this reverence, and there's this, like, everybody thinks that the queen is so great. But when it comes to actually running the country, the queen has no say, right? The queen doesn't get to see, like, the queen doesn't have the nuclear code, right? The queen doesn't know, you know, like, the queen has very little or nothing to say about the, how the country is run. She's just the monarch. She's the one that kind of represents the face of the country. But, but we know that the country is run by different people. But you know what? We, that's how we live our lives sometimes. We live our lives. We, we say, Lord, you know, you're the king. And on the outside, we say, Jesus Christ, you're the king. You're the Lord of my life. But when it comes to actually running our life, you know, you, the person that runs our life is Prime Minister Yo. Do you know Prime Minister Yo? Prime Minister Yo-Self, right? <laughs> right? We say, God, you are God, right? You're the Lord. You're the Lord. You, we love you. We exalt you. We worship you. But then when it comes to actually seeing how our life is run, it's all about ourselves, right? Yo-Self. A lot of times we put limits on God. God, you can have ruling over Rule and reign over this area of my heart, but not this area of my heart. Because I don't think that you're going to understand what I'm feeling. I don't think you're going to understand what I'm going through. I don't think you understand this area of my heart. It's a little dark, and I know, but, you know, like, it's, it's, I don't think you're going you're gonna to know what I'm going through. But we fail to realize that God made our hearts. Like, do you know that God made your heart? Not, not just your physical heart, because you have a physical heart. The ventricles and arteries that pump your blood through your body. You guys know the circuit, all this, the blood that flows to your body because of your heart. But you, God actually made your spiritual heart. He formed your heart. He designed our hearts, and he's the only one that can get our hearts right. You guys have to realize that. He's the designer of our hearts, and we're telling him, I can fix it without you. Or we sometimes think it's actually possible to hide things from God. Which is just dumb because God sees everything. Right? He doesn't even have to try. There's never been a time in the history where, oh, God's like, oh, God. I mean, God's like, oh, man, I wish I knew what John was thinking. Right? There's never been a time where God ever said, I wish I knew what Claire was doing. Right? 
God sees and knows everything. There's nothing that we can hide from him. But sometimes we try to create these firewalls, right? Like we try to create these firewalls in our hearts. Like, oh, you know, I have this up. God, my, God's not going to know what I'm doing, right? It's like this is my VPN, right? I have a different IP address, right? God can't see this. But we have to realize that God, there's never been a time when God didn't know what was in your heart and what was in your mind. God knows your heart fully. There's no way that you can hide anything from God in your heart. And there's the thing that we have to understand about God. He, he doesn't want to police your heart. Right? He doesn't want to police your heart. We think that. We think, we think of God like our human parents. It's like, oh, man, if, if God found out about this, I'm going to get whooped. I'm going to be in so much trouble. Right? That's how I used to always think about it. There's so many things that I hid from my parents. Right? My, my parents knew about 60% of the things I did like, well, growing up. Right? I hid everything from my parents. Right? But, you know, it's impossible to do that with God. And it's not because God has no intention of policing your heart. He doesn't want to police your heart. He wants to transform your heart. And so like, like whatever is in your heart, you don't have to hide it from God. He already knows everything. And it's not because he wants to say, ha ha, I know that's in your heart. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to punish you. No. He wants you to open up your heart and allow all of the things that are in your heart to be fully like, open to God so that he can transform your heart. He can change your heart. He doesn't want to police your heart. He wants to transform your heart so he can fix the things that are in your heart. Following God wholeheartedly means that we are always aware that he is with us and we follow him in obedience in every aspect of our lives and we let him into every area of our heart, every area of our, our being. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And we try to show God the good Maybe the bad, but we never show him the ugly, right? Well, God sees the good, the bad, and the ugly in you. There's nothing that you can hide from him. And it's not because he wants to, you know, bust you. It's not like an undercover cover, like, ah I got you, Joshua. No, no. He, he, he loves you, and he wants to fix your heart. He wants to get your heart right because he's the only one that can bring our hearts to our original design. That original design when, when Adam and Eve, before sin came, that connection that he had, that they had with God, God wants to bring that into our hearts. But we have to fully open up our heart. He's a gentleman. He's not going to force our hearts open. But we have to give our hearts to him. It's surrender. He designed our hearts to be a certain way, to function a certain way. And we can't get it to be that way without him. We have to let him be Lord. We submit and we surrender and we take control and he fixes our hearts. And let me tell you, this is not easy. Right? This is not an easy thing to do. And the Bible tells us how Caleb did it. It says in Numbers 14, 24, But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went and his descendants shall possess it. And what sets him apart is this, is that he had a different spirit. God, he chose to be led by the Spirit of God. Following the Lord wholly, wholeheartedly isn't something that we can do on our own strength. And we try to do it on our own strength, and we'll fail every time. We're going to be all legalistic. We're going to try to be all like, you know, you know like you know, works-based. 
But Caleb wasn't was able to follow God wholeheartedly, fully, because he was special. But it's because he had a different spirit within him. He was led by the Spirit of God. We can't follow God without the Holy Spirit. Because sin has turned our nature against God. Right? Initially, without the Holy Spirit, our nature, our sinful nature is against God. We have a heart that by its nature goes against the things of God. When we're saved, we receive the Holy Spirit, right? You receive the Holy Spirit, and then he dwells in us. He lives in us. Right? One of the most significant and important ministries of the Holy Spirit is the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit. He dwells in us, and his presence in our hearts transforms the way we are. Right? It transforms the way we think. It transforms the way the, the, the fruit. He bears fruit in us, and we start to lead our lives obedient to God's word. Now John 15, 26, it says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of the, the truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And so the Holy Spirit, his ministry, is he, he lives in us and he constantly points to, to the work of Christ on the cross. He's constantly pointing to the gospel. He's quite constantly pointing to the person of Christ and the things that he has done in our lives. And we're constantly reminded and we have a revelation of the cross. And the Holy Spirit is God in us. He's Emmanuel. He is God in us. And we listen to him. We follow him. Our hearts start to be transformed. He changes us. We become different. We become new as he continues to dwell in us. But you see, you have the, the, my point I wanted to make is this is a choice. Holy Spirit can be in you, but you can also harden your heart. You guys have to understand the Holy Spirit can be inside of you and he can dwell in you. But then you also have the choice of hardening your heart. God always gives us, us, us a choice. He's, he never forces us into anything. And so we can be led by the Spirit of God or we can harden our hearts to the Spirit of God. In Hebrews, the writer talks about how the Israelites hardened their hearts in the wilderness. Hebrews 3, verses 7, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today... If you hear the voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I, provoked, I, I was provoked with the generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. They have not known my ways as I swore in my wrath. They shall not enter my rest. Right? The ten spies that gave a bad report. It wasn't that because they were not courageous. It wasn't because that they weren't strong enough. It was because they had hardened their hearts. It's because they had hardened their hearts that they couldn't be able to see what, what Caleb and Joshua was able to see. It all starts from our hearts. We go astray in our hearts. That's why it's so important to keep our hearts vulnerable and pliable to the, to the leading of the Holy Spirit. He is the architect of our heart. Right? And the Bible tells us, guard your heart with all vigilance, because from it flows the wellspring of life. Your life flows from the place of your heart. It doesn't flow from your body. Right? Your life doesn't happen in your body. Your ha life actually starts from your heart. Because if my heart says, do this, I'm going to go do it. If my heart tells me, 
you know, go and, and do this bad thing or go and do this good thing. My, my heart is what's going to be leading me. From your heart flows the wellspring of life. And a hardened heart gives, it gives us an inability to see, to understand, to hear, and to remember what God has done and is doing and will do in our lives. You know, God might be trying to bring you into a new season of victory, but you, you just see the setbacks in your life. He, dis- he could be dis- disciplining you, but all you see is condemnation. All you see is shame. He's trying to encourage you, but you fail to remember all the great things that he's done in your life. When we harden our hearts, it inhibits the power of the Holy Spirit and what he can do and the work that he can do in our lives. You know, and, and you know, our heart, it deals with emotions and feelings and all these things that we feel like we can't control. But at the end of the day, there's a choice. There is a choice. I will choose to be led and open my heart to the Holy Spirit, or I will choose to harden my heart. It's a choice. We think, you know, we have to realize this, that it's a choice, because a lot of times it, it's going to remove whatever responsibility that we have in, our, in sanctification. We think like, oh, no, I'm so helpless. I'm being tempted. I'm being tossed about to and fro. Well, we have to, in, we have to understand beyond all of the things that's happening in your life, there's still, at the, at the very center of your heart, there's a choice that God gives you. And we have to see it in this way or we lose sight of the responsibility that we have in our sanctification. Now, I, I've known people that's been in the church for years, 20 years, 30 years, and you, go, you look at them, they're exactly the same. And they say, I feel the same. I don't feel like my life has changed. Well, I'd be like, well, what choices have you been making in your life? Have you been choosing to open your heart to be led by the Spirit of God or, or are you hardening your heart? Because you know when you harden your heart, even with a hardened heart, it's easy to go to church. You know that? You can go to church for 20 years with a hardened heart. You know? Because you know, that, that's what man has created. We've created religion. Right? And so when, when it comes down to religion, it's really hard. It's really easy for a person with a hardened heart to really actually just go to church. But it's something else. It's, 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 hard, it's almost impossible for a person with a hardened heart to approach the throne of Christ, to approach the throne of grace. It's a choice. And Caleb was one that didn't harden his heart like the others, but he chose to be led by the Holy Spirit. He chose to be led by God. And it changed the whole outlook that he had it changed the whole outlook that he had and, and his perspective. And my third point is he didn't allow his situation to affect his perspective. Now, when we follow God wholeheartedly, it changes how we see ourselves. It changes how we see our situations. It changes how we see God. <coughs> it changes everything in every way that we see things in this world. Following God wholeheartedly changes our perspective. You know, Caleb and Joshua saw the same giants that the other ten spies had seen. It's not like they went to different parts of the promised land. They split up, all right? You go, you go where the giants are, and we're going to go hang out by the Mediterranean and see what the fishing looks like. No, they all went together, and they all saw the same giants together. And Caleb, 85 years old, he doesn't see his age the same way that other men his age would see his age, right? It's not like they were a bunch of 
like like buff eighty five year olds running around trying to fight giants, right? But Caleb was he was different, right? He didn't see that him being eighty five didn't affect the way that he saw himself. He sees himself and he sees the giants with a completely different perspective. And it's the same way with us and the way that we see the situations in our lives, the circumstances in our lives, the suffering, the turmoil, the tribulation, the setbacks, right? the, that thing that we want, but there's like this huge obstacle there, right? Literally a you know, figurative giant, right, standing before us. We have to see them through the eyes of the Holy Spirit, through the eyes of faith. Caleb saw giants, and he didn't think like, oh, man, they're so big, right? Caleb saw the giants, and he's like, man, we could take them. We can take this giant down because my God is greater. It radically changed his perspective. And the fact that he's 85 didn't change the way that he saw himself. Basically, he didn't have any excuses. Now, excuses are like buts. Everyone has them, right? Many times we have excuses on why we don't follow God, why we don't do this, why we don't obey in here, or why we don't pursue the things that he's leading me into here, why we don't submit to him about things. We, we bring all these excuses and all these things, the limitations that we have. You know, maybe when I'm older, you know, maybe when I have more wisdom, maybe, you know, I'm not smart enough. I want to be at a certain point in my life. I want to have certain things figured out in my life. You know, when I have more money, when I have a better job, when I'm married, you know, I don't have enough experience, when I'm in better shape, when I have that degree, when, and, and, and here's the most common, is when I feel like it, right? That's an excuse that we tell God all the time. God, I don't feel like, like, I used to tell my parents all the time, it's like, my parents are like, go do this. Oh, I don't feel like it, right? Ethan's going to say that soon. You know, I, I'm going to start hating it when he says that, right? We tell, I, we, I used to say that to my mom. I don't feel like it, right? You know, but we, t- we give that to God as an excuse all the time. You know, God's like, hey, do this. I want you to go down this road. I want, I'm lighting up this path for you. And we tell God, I don't feel like it. I'll do it when I feel like it. And so many times we let our situations dictate what we do for God, but God but Caleb didn't allow one of the biggest limitations affect him. He's 85. And yet he doesn't let it affect his zeal, his fervor, or the inheritance because he knows that if, if God's going to give him this inheritance, he knows that God will, will, will make the way possible. He's going to open up the way. God's going to be victorious with him. If God promised, to it, it promised it to him, God will give it to him. He will be faithful. There's a lot of times where God will come to me and you know, I would tell him, like, oh, if this situation was different, God, or you know, if this was going for me in my life. God tells me, many, he's told me many times, like, what if the situation never changes? Will you still follow through? And he tells me, what perspective are you looking at these things in your life? Are you looking at them through the spirit or are you looking at them through the flesh? And so, you know, we see, we see Caleb as somebody that had godly perspective. He saw things the way that God wanted him to see it. And my, my next point is that Caleb had faith to take down giants. His perspective changed everything. And we saw the giants. He saw them in light of God's power, in light of what God could do. And he looked at them and he said, bring them on. Right? 
doesn't matter if I'm 85. It doesn't matter, you know, how old I am. I know that if God is with me, I can do this. With God's help, I can take down these giants and I can claim this land. And I want to ask you today, what are the giants in your life? What are the things that you feel you can't change? The things that you feel you can't accomplish? The things that you feel are out of your reach? What are the giants? The things that seem insurmountable? Things in your life that you feel are too big for you to conquer? What are the things that stand in your way from following God's plan completely for yourself? And are you looking at these things through the perspective of God's power? Or do you believe, do you believe that God can do anything? Do you believe that God could break addiction? Do you believe that God could open doors? Do you believe that God could do supernatural things in your life for you? Do you believe that God could heal? Do you believe that God could do anything? And some of you guys might be angry with God because it seems like you, it seems like God has placed this art obstacle in your life and there's just nothing that you can do to get past it. You might feel angry. You might feel bitter. That you have this thing in front of you and you know no matter what you do, you can't seem to get past it. You just can't beat it. You might be angry or you might feel shame. You might think that, you know, God can never forgive you or God can never do this for you because of the things that you've done. Or you might feel hopeless. But I want to ask you, are you looking at those things? Are you looking at those giants from a, with a holy perspective? Do you see your giants in light of God's power? Do you believe that he can take down those giants for you? Or do you feel helpless in front of them? Because God doesn't expect you to, to take down your giants. God doesn't expect you to do it by yourself. He, he does expect you to have faith in God for him to do it. Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and our strength. God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Isaiah 41, so do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now living a victorious life for Christ is all about dependence. It's completely opposite of the world. The world says, you got to be independent. There's a song. Doesn't Beyonce have a song called Independent? I don't know. Destiny's Child. What is it called? Independent one. It's all about being independent. The world is like, I got to be independent, right? I, I got to be independent so that, like, you know, I don't have to work. Like, I don't have to get a loan from the bank to pay my bills. I don't have, you know, like, it's all about like, getting what's mine and doing things so that I can sustain myself and I can go on my vacations and I can do all these, these things so I can be independent. But the life that Christ has for us is completely about dependence. It's all about dependence. It's a complete radical shift to the ways of the world. It's not about us being the hero. It's about Christ being our hero. And and, and let me tell you, God can provide for you way better than whatever you can do for yourself on your own. God, the, the, the plans and the purposes and the path that God has for you is so much better than whatever you can think and you can do for yourself on your own. It's about dependence. I want to close with this. I want to close with verse 13. And it says, Then Joshua blessed him. 
And he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Zephune, for an inheritance. Therefore Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Zephune, the Kezanite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now the name of Hebron formerly was Kariath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakin, and the land had rest from war. And I want to I want to let you guys know that God always remembers your faithfulness. God remembers when we follow him fully. Caleb had to wait 45 years, but God remembered his faithfulness. He remembered how Caleb followed him wholeheartedly, and Caleb got his inheritance. The world may not reward you for following God, but God always remembers. You know, there's a lot of things. Now people will be like, oh, what are you doing on Sunday? Let's go on this trip. Like, oh, I got to go to church. You're like, oh, why are you going to church? All of the, the faithfulness that you have, you have, like, displayed to the Lord, those moments where, you know, it, like, you know, your integrity would cost you the job or your integrity would, would, would you know, cost you money. These are, the thi- these are the moments of faithfulness that God will always remember. And Caleb's land is named Hebron. In Hebrew, it means association. It basically means fellowship. In the lexicon, it's translated the city of the friend of a merciful God. And I want to let you know today that following God wholeheartedly, fully following the Lord, will bring us into fellowship with God. We're able to experience the connection with God that he wants for us. We become friends of God. This is one thing I want to teach my kids. You know, I try to teach Ethan. He's like, you know, you can be a friend of God. If you, you know, I, I want you guys to know that God is always with you. If you are in Christ, nothing can separate you from the love of God. He is with you. He is with you through the low times. He is with you through the high times. He is with you when you're victorious. He is with you when you fail. He is with you when you're, you know, when, when, when you're being tempted. He is even with you when you fall and stumble. God, if you are in Christ, nothing can separate you from the love of God. And I pray that you will follow him fully, wholeheartedly. And follow him as he tells you, let's take down these giants together. You know, God tells me that it's my power plus your faith equals victory. I pray that you will allow him into every area of your heart, even the areas of your heart that you want to hide from him. Because you can't. He knows your heart. He knows everything in your heart. And so all you have to do is open up your heart, let his spirit into your heart, and let him make your heart right. Let him fix those areas of your heart. You know, people think that God would judge our hearts. And you know what? There will be a time when God judges everybody. Even the righteous and the wicked, God will judge everybody. But God doesn't come to us right now with a judgmental spirit. That's 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 not God. He's not trying to judge you. He's not trying to bust you. But he's here to heal you and he's here to transform you. Because he loves you. You know, I love my kids. And when they mess up, I don't judge them. I'm like, ah, how can you do that? I, I don't judge them. You know, when they fall down, 
I want to teach them and I want to pick them up. I want to discipline them so that you know, they know what to do and they succeed. And that's the heart of God. That really is God's heart. In John 3, 17, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. And the thing is that when Christ comes, he wants to transform us and he wants to make us new. And we have to open up our hearts. You don't have to be ashamed with God. You, you might feel ashamed with the people around you, but you don't have to ever feel ashamed with God. First of all, he knows everything, right? He ain't got nothing to hide. Right? You can't be like, oh, oh God, you know, I, I got this thing that, you know, and I don't, I don't want you to know. Like, he knows. He can see right through you. There's nothing. Like, that, that should break off so much shame and condemnation off of you. You know that? That nothing, there's nothing that you can hide from God because he knows everything. And yet he still loves you. That's, that's the gospel, right? And then as you realize he knows everything, you open up your heart. You're like, God, this is area of my heart. I'm struggling with in this area of my heart. I don't know, but God, help me. And then you start to make those choices. I told you earlier, it's a choice, right? You start to make those choices, and you start to follow God and being led by the Holy Spirit, and God will start to soften your heart and, you, and make your heart. He's going to start to fix your heart. And then you're going to start to bear fruit in your heart. A lot of times we, we look at God like he's, you know, he's our parents. And there's so many things that we want to hide from him. Like, God, I want to, I can't, I can't let you see this. I can't let you talk about this in my life. I can't let you, you know, these are things. I want you to just see me like this. You know, like, you know, your, your, the selfies that the girls take on the subway. I, you know, they have a long distance relationship. And then the boyfriend only sees them as like, you know. And when they see him, they're like, what the heck? Like, like with no makeup, makeup on, and they look completely different, right? You can't do that with God. God, you know, like, we can't, like, fake the funk and, like, give him, like, headshots to God, right? Like, dressed in our nice clothes, with our hair all right, you know, getting like, everything out of our teeth. And we take a selfie and we shoot it to God. God sees everything. Because right? he is in us, right? He's in us. Holy Spirit is in us. And so that's what it is to follow him wholeheartedly. To follow him fully is to allow every area of our hearts to be open to him. Even the areas that are ugly. Even the areas that are a little funky. Even the areas where we may not trust God. Even, you know, We allow him into those hearts. And then we start to make the choices of following him and obedience. And he wants to transform us. He wants to make us. You know, he wants to heal us and form our hearts fully. As we repent of our sins and then we go after those giants with him. Let's all stand up and let's close.